Welcome to Get In It, the podcast, a series by UBC Okanagan Girls in Tech and ACMW Student Chapter. This episode is a recording of our UBC Okanagan 2015 alumni panel, hosted by Dr. Bowen Hui on the 29th of October 2021. On this panel, our esteemed alumni graduated from UBC Okanagan in 2015 and are now working in Google and Facebook. They'll talk about landing a job in big tech, working in the industry, and what their plans are after. Without further ado, here is the recording. All right, so welcome everyone for attending this alumni panel. Um, I'd like to thank our panelists for joining us today and taking the time out from their busy work schedule to come and give back to our UBCO community. We're so happy to have you here um, to share your experience with us. And the reason we're actually holding this alumni panel today uh, for this for the students who are here and don't really know about it, is because one of our panelists here, Matt, who we'll introduce in a bit, um, he, one day he just messaged me and said that he wanted to help other UBCO BCO students land good tech jobs by doing mock interviews with them. And I thought that was a really great opportunity. So then we could actually start and and do do this panel as a kickoff to um, talk about how we can organize these mock interviews. Okay, so we'll just start off with a brief intro. Um, I don't know everybody's position, so I'm just going to let them um, introduce themselves. Um, Maybe we'll start with Matt, since I mentioned you earlier. Yeah, sure. Um, So Spoiler alert, my name's Matt. Um, My position, I'm a software engineer at Google. Uh, So my position is called a software engineer three, which corresponds to L4, which means I've been promoted once. So try to figure that one out. Um, As far as how long at the company, I've been at the company about five and a half years. Um, In that time, I've worked on a bunch of different teams, uh, some like internal products, external products, big teams, small teams, front end, back end, kind of got a look do a little bit more. Um, I guess I'll call the name since we can't really figure out who's who uh, in, in the order. So maybe Yarko can go next. Sure, yeah. How's it going? I'm Yarko and um, I am at Google. I just got promoted uh, to a senior software engineer. So that's L5. And um, yeah, I've been at Google for about four years now, uh, almost to the day. And then I was two years before then at uh, Bloomberg, also in, in New York, based in New York. And so I got a little bit of experience with more on the finance side of New York and more on the tech side. And I work on a Google Maps team here. I've been here since since I joined. Thank you, and Ethan? Yeah, so uh, hi, I'm Ethan. Um, I've been at Google for four and a half years now. Um, I started off working at YouTube, the YouTube office in uh, San Bruno. So I worked there on backend like infrastructure solutions for year and a half, two years, um, and then transferred over to you know Google proper, the, the HQ, uh, where I was working on augmented reality stuff specifically for uh, AR core, which is like Android's augmented reality library. So I worked there for I guess about a year and a half. And then I took like a sort of weird sabbatical. There's like a program that Google does where we loan out engineers to teach uh, computer science at um, different universities around the country. So uh, this was during the pandemic, so I didn't get to go on site, but I taught remotely uh, first year computer science at Morehouse College in Atlanta for a semester. And then I came back and moved from my AR core team to a different team where I'm working on augmented reality uh, hardware solutions for fancy new toys that hopefully you guys will get to see in three years, maybe if things go well. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also software engineer three L4 been promoted once. So that's Hanks and Kathy. How's it going? Um, I'm Kathy. I'm also a software engineer. I'm a staff software engineer, which is um, an L6. I work at Facebook actually right now. I've been there for a year and a half. I work at Facebook's research and development org. It's called New Product Experimentation. So it's a group, it's kind of like an internal incubator where we start up new ideas and we launch them publicly to see like what could be the future of Facebook. Right now I'm working on a music app called Collab. Unfortunately not available in Canada right now, so people can't try it out, but it's for making collaborative music videos. Before that, I was at Google for four and a half years and I worked in the VR department, uh, Daydream, prototyping VR productivity apps. So we built some 
3D modeling tools. And then we also pivoted into ads where we did lipstick try on in YouTube. Wow, so cool. Can you believe these are actually our students? Like I just, I'm so proud of you guys. Oh, so if you get a chance, you should come back and give a talk. I, well, I guess, you know, post COVID period, I'm sure it'll be completely full house at that point. So um, without further ado, the first question, which is kind of like sharing your secrets to us, okay? How did you land a job with a fan company? So um, feel free to talk about your experience, how you got their attention, application package, um, technical interviews, what have you. So feel free to jump in um, and tell us about your experience. Yeah, so out of, out of college, uh, out of, out of uh, university, I think uh, in the last year, uh, a lot of us were doing interviews with a bunch of companies and and um, I tried applying for Google at the time and I got a phone screen and uh, absolutely did not make it through to any more rounds and so um, I had other options and one of them was Bloomberg and uh, it pulled me to New York because uh, I, I love money and uh, so I, I got pulled there and um, once you do get a foothold at a, at a larger company, uh, it puts you on the radar for a lot of recruiters and things like that. And as well, if you have a network of people um, who also work in similar companies that uh, you might wanna work for. So for example, Kathy and Matt, um, I think they, they put in referrals for me at Google, which really helped with my, with my case. I think uh, the second time around, uh, two years later, I applied and um, I also studied quite a bit with respect to um, the um, interviews themselves, which can be quite rigorous. So it's a, it's a collection for me of, of having good uh, friends and um, putting in the, the work and um, studying for the tests and probably a little bit of luck as well. Yeah, my uh, experience is pretty similar to that. Um, so I also, uh, interviewed with uh, Google and a few other companies uh, during my last year at UBCO. Um, did the, the phone screening, I made it to the on-site interview, uh, came back, um, was denied. So took another job in uh, Vancouver, working for a smaller company out there. I uh, worked there for about a year and then I was contacted by uh, Google Recruiter again over I think it was over LinkedIn, LinkedIn or email. Um, anyways, basically like saying that, uh, you know, hey, like you interviewed before, didn't go well, want to try again. Um, so did it the second time. Uh, like Yarko said, like it, uh, put a lot of time into studying specifically for the technical interviews because um, Unfortunately, uh, at least in, in my opinion, there's basically two completely different skill sets, and one of them is being a good engineer, and one of them is interviewing for engineering roles, and um, uh, put a lot more time into like really practicing interviews and stuff. Um, so yeah, did that, got the offer. Um, they offered me a few different, you know, potential locations. I took the YouTube one, um, and uh, yeah, that was basically how it how it went for me. Um, I can talk next. Oh. So my, my, sorry, path, no. oh, sorry. my path was a little bit different. I applied to Google out of college, um, did the technical interviews, also didn't make the first round, but then I went into a second placement for something called engineering residency at Google, which is a program for new grad engineers where you do a little bit of training and then you do a rotational program at Google. So I did get that position out the gate. It was only for a one-year contract and then eventually I converted full-time after that. Um, I also just like studied like crazy for the tests. And then when I left from Google to go to Facebook, again, studied like crazy. I was recruited, thankfully, which made it a little bit easier, but I had to go through a really crazy round of negotiations, um, which we can go into, but I refused to leave Facebook or Google to go to Facebook without them up-leveling me. So that was a big part of the negotiations there, which is as you change companies back and forth, you can like negotiate both your position and your salary. I guess it's Matt. Uh yeah, my path was very similar to both Yarko and Ethan, where interviewed at school, uh, I got on site, I got told maybe, which I have since learned is something they're not supposed to say, but they did. Um, 
So I got told maybe I did some more interviews and then I got told no. Uh, went and worked in Vancouver for a little bit, got contacted by a recruiter, said, hey, do you want to come back and try again? Tried again, ended up in a role that was a much better fit for me. So I think it all worked out good in the end. Um, as far as like negotiation stuff, the only negotiation stuff that I had any experience with was I also interviewed with Amazon at the same time. Um, I didn't actually want to work for Amazon. I just wanted to use them as practice interviews. And I ended up getting an offer from both. So they kind of worked out in my favor that way. Um, but yeah, I certainly didn't go hard on the negotiation front. I was just happy to be in it. If we can. So all of you mentioned about um, studying really hard for it. Um, and one of the questions that we did have from the students was like, do we really have to grind lead code or is it really just, you know, are, are they listening for your problem solving skills? What is it that they're really after at these technical interviews? I guess the simple answer is yes. <laughs> yes, you, you do need to, to, to grind out those, those lead code problems or uh, you know, hacker rank or boiler project, whatever your um, platform choice is. Uh, these interviews are, they're hard. <laughs> they are testing for both problem solving ability as well as like domain knowledge. So what I mean by that is like when you, you know, you go into the room or you're over, you know, Zoom or whatever, um, you, you really, you really want to look like somebody who's written whatever your code language is um, naturally and without a lot of assistance from like an IDE. Um, so the advice I usually give people is like practice in like notepad or like something that just gives you like zero help, you know, correcting things um, or on paper, because, you know, if you're planning to, to do like whiteboarding interviews in person, then, you know, it's all going to be by hand anyways. Um, the other piece of advice that, that I give people for preparing for interviews is that when you do these technical interviews, you're writing code, they want to hear you explain your thought process or explain, you know, how what you're writing is, is going to, you know, solve this problem. Um, I found it really, really helpful when I was practicing to just talk out loud. Um, because a lot of the time, if you haven't done it before, you don't actually realize how much like neural bandwidth it takes to write code and talk at the same time. Um, you know, if you've done a lot of interviews or if you've like, you know, taught before you, you're probably used to it, but if you haven't done those two things, it will slow you down and it's worth practicing to make sure that you can do those two things smoothly. You'll feel a lot more confident during the interview process. Matt, you want to add? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say like, do you have to practice in a word? Yes. Um, it's like Ethan mentioned earlier, it's, there's two different skill sets here. One of them is interviewing and the other one is doing the job. And they try as much as they can to have an overlap there. But when you're in an engineering role, a lot of your projects are on the scope of weeks or months, whereas your interview is on the scope of hours. So they really have to condense that down and try to get to the crux of the issue. So that's why there's such a different skill set there. That said, I do think that things like leak code, hacker rank, cracking the coding interview, like these are really good tools. And a lot of them are things you can do by yourself. Um, we did a lot like speaking for the folks in this call, because we all did it together. Like we did a lot of interviews together where one of us would pretend to know the answer and interview the other one. It forces you to do that talking out loud. It gets extra eyes on the problem. So that if you get stuck, you can get help. Um, so doing things like the mock interviews with us or with each other, I think is a great way to practice as well. For what it's worth, that never changes. Like when I switched from Google to Facebook, that was only like a year and a half ago. And I was like, oh, now I got to go study. And like, I spent a couple of days like cracking, I opened cracking the coding interview again and did a bunch of practice again. Yeah. And personally, um, I really wanted to go to Google when I was at Bloomberg. <laughs> and so I set out a, a regiment of, um, for six months, I did a problem every day and at least one, and it was without looking at the answer and uh, coding it out for real as though it is a real problem. And that really solidified the basics of the interviews that are um, asked during interviews. Uh, you kind of get to follow um, a thread uh, that is common throughout a lot of those questions. They're, they fall into certain archetypes. And if you can identify that, you can uh, apply some transferable knowledge from one problem to another. Um, that is if you get um, quite a bit of experience with them. So. 
for me, it took, it took quite a long time to be really comfortable. And then when I came to uh, apply at Google, they said they, they don't have a spot for me in New York. So uh, it was almost all for naught, but uh, that's just how it is. Um, I just want to add to that too. I, I did a similar thing also where I, I took several months, um, you know, in preparation and did, yeah, like either uh, like a problem a day during weekdays and then like a couple on weekends and stuff. But um, the other thing I want to add too is that generally if you're interviewing with like, uh, like a fan company, it can be a little different if you're dealing with like a startup or, or, or like for a very, very specific role. But usually they're interviewing you for your general engineering ability. Um, especially coming out of college, it's very unlikely that Google or Facebook or Amazon or Netflix is going to be interviewing you for a specific role. So the domain knowledge that they're looking for is like general computer science, data structures and algorithms. Um, so I'm, I'm mentioning this because when you're, when you're studying um, for these interviews, it's probably not going to be worth your time um, drilling too deep into like a specific, you know, framework or something or saying like, even if you're like, I really want to be, uh, I really want to do like, I don't know, uh, GPU like graphics processing or something. It's fairly unlikely that you're going to be interviewed for like, I don't know, like CUDA problems, you know, like it, it, you're, you're better off doing basically kind of your, your general data structures and algorithms kind of course load and um, just making sure that you're familiar with the language that you're working in. But yeah, you're not going to be interviewed for something specific. So don't worry too much about specific frameworks and stuff that can come later in your career if you become a domain expert. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask everyone's um, opinion on uh, how they sort of put their application package together and what how you feel about that from the other end of, of things now. Um, how important are grades and what kind of like what are the most important skills you look for on the resume? So I definitely can't speak for everyone, um, but my resume was it was the same resume to every company. I didn't try to do anything special there. Uh, I certainly didn't write a cover letter because I'm not good at writing. Uh, my grades, I never like really talked about them except for like a quick line on my resume. Um, and all of that is also caveated by the fact that like I don't ever look at people's resumes. That all happens before they get to my interactions with them. So I don't really have a ton to say here other than like try to look professional, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing. No, uh, or no cover letter. Grades weren't really in there. Um, I used the same resume for every job that I applied for. But I think what can be taken away from this is really important that in your resume, as you talk about the things you've done, to really focus on the impact of what you've done and less actually what it was. That's how we write all of our performance feedback within these big companies. And that's kind of what the recruiters are looking for too. So instead of being like, oh, I built this app, it does X, be like, I built this app and because I built this app, a hundred people are able to do something they weren't able to do before. And like that really catches recruiters eyes when they're reading resumes. And are they reading resumes anymore? Or are we actually talking about resume scanners at this point? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I can't say for sure. I imagine there's probably some scanning happening before they're handed off to recruiters. So yeah, like, like Matt said, when we interview people, the resumes are basically looked at by folks that handle recruiting ahead of time. And then we're just kind of past a candidate with the understanding that, hey, they, they passed the initial screening. Your job is to now uh, assess them on a technical level. Um, so I was talking a little bit before we officially got started here that I've done a fair amount of like university outreach and stuff with Google. So I've actually hosted a couple of uh, like interview and uh, resume workshops. Um, I have some materials that I'm actually happy to share and you can, you know, distribute uh, or maybe not directly. I have some information I can share with you uh, that you can uh, distribute to, to students afterwards about exactly how to structure your resume in a way that it's uh, most likely to be uh, picked up by, by recruiters. And um, just like, uh, like um, what Cap was saying, like the, the best way to kind of like phrase things is this sort of like, accomplished X as measured by Y by doing Z. 
is sort of the ideal way to like phrase things. Um, and, yeah, and it so sounds I'm, like it sounds like in that context, um, if we're thinking about you know sort of the things we did in class projects, we may or may not be able to express that. But if we have personal projects or other side projects, that might be a better way to go. Yeah, yeah. If you can, if you have personal projects, I think that's the best way to kind of put things together. I also did want to mention too, as far as grades go, I don't think there's like a hard like cutoff that's a rule. Um, I know for sure I've worked with software engineers that either like didn't go to college at all or didn't go to college for um, computer science. Um, pro maneuver. Yeah. Uh, UBC, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Well, I was just going to like plus one onto that, that like I've interviewed tons of folks who have not had any formal education, who have had formal education, went to big schools, have a master's degree with all straight 4.0 GPAs and whatever, or they don't tell you their grades because they don't want to. Like, yeah. so I think it really covers a big spectrum there. So I wouldn't get too hung up on that. One of the best engineers I worked with at YouTube came straight from uh, Starbucks to Google with no formal education at all. He had like high school diploma and then he like wrote some bots or, or something for like automating parts of like his Dungeons and Dragon campaign for like automating like, I don't know, I don't even understand what he was doing anyways. He figured he, that's how he learned how to code and then he came straight to Google from like his barista job. So that does happen. <laughs> that's not me telling you to drop out by the way, just for, for clarification. That's not at all what I'm saying, but um, but there's no hard like grade cutoff though. So, you know, apply anyways. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to people straight out of school, um, I think that if you have any experience with uh, research, I think that helped me. I had that on, on my resume. I worked with uh, a number of professors at UPCO and we had uh, one or two publications that I was able to put because you don't necessarily have the traditional impactful work that you can uh, quote. So uh, things like that, personal projects, as been mentioned, I think a lot of people from the resumes I've seen put the types of classes that they've taken, maybe just for, for, for kind of for context. Uh, personally, when I interview people, and I've interviewed um, at Bloomberg as well as here, they teach you on a technical level to not look at resumes because they can uh, impact your opinion of the candidate. Uh, if you have a certain association with a school. So they teach us now to not look at resumes, uh, but I've also been on the post interview side where we are hiring someone. And that is also when your, in your, your resume does come into play a little bit when it comes to team matching. So if you are on a hiring committee, you are looking at resumes for kind of for fit and other things. So it does come to play a little bit later. Also, for what it's worth, I had class projects on my resume, and I just listed them as like projects, and then some personal, some class ones. And I didn't say they were class projects. I was just like named it and what it did, why it was cool, what the impact was. Um, I see a, a couple of questions in the chat also. So uh, one question, uh, elite code plus personal projects are greater than grades. Uh, yes, I would say. Um, and, and so the, the thing with the personal projects too, is that those are more, what's going to get you noticed by the recruiter. So the, the recruiter I feel is, is who kind of like sees personal projects, uh, contacts you, does the initial phone screen and stuff. Uh, when you're handed off to an engineer for the technical interview, it's fairly unlikely. Like I don't, I don't bother looking at the personal projects if I, if I look at the resume. Um, so it, it's kind of, I guess it's almost like there's three different skill sets. There's like actually being good at your job, then there's being good at interviews, and then there's like getting the interview. So getting the interview comes from like having projects and having like a solid resume, and then passing the interview comes from being good at data structures and algorithms and like your fundamentals of computer science. And then being good at your job is like, it's weird because I'm kind of implying that it's like sort of your last priority, but it kind of is in this context. It's kind of like, yeah, worry about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so maybe uh, I just want to make sure we cover the other questions that we had. Maybe if you guys could tell us about um, what a typical day looks like when you're working at your company. I can go first for this one. Um, so for me, if I wanted to like kind of break it down at a very high level, I would say it's about 60% 
making things and about 40% looking at other people's work. Uh, now in that 40%, that's doing things like code reviews, design reviews, helping other people debug issues that they're having. And then that other 60% is kind of where I get to actually like make things for other people to look at, whether that's writing code, writing design docs, doing interviews, which I guess kind of falls out of that bucket, but whatever. Um, and like all that sort of stuff. So I think that that's kind of the high level split. Um, as far as like what I'm actually working on, it's very mm -hmm. dependent on what part of the project life cycle it's in, where earlier on you're doing a lot more docs and design work and research on how to actually solve the problem versus later on you're actually implementing it. And then of course, there's always the mad scramble at the end to try to get it out the door, so. I can hop on as well. Yeah, very similar. Um, I think um, I try to structure my day to unblock the people who I'm working with. So if you are working as part of a team, you may have people that need things from you, whether it's code reviews, whether it's docs, whether it's um, looking at something and giving your okay from another team. So a lot of it is unblocking other people and a lot of it is just using your time to complete the tasks that you've been given, whether or not that is on a design level or it's an implementation level. We have generally free form uh, blocks of time that you can structure and do whatever it is that you want with. You could just, I don't know, play Xbox, but uh, if you're working from home, but it's good to use your time effectively and however it is that uh, that works best for you. I know that other companies may not have that amount of freedom, but I think generally we do. Very similar, um, all, all three of us are at Google, so we all kind of have similar work days, I guess. Um, I would, so for my job right now, I would say it's probably similar to that kind of 60-40 split that um, Matt described as far as like making things versus looking at other people's stuff. That can change a little bit. The The role that I'm in right now is a lot of like building, building new stuff that doesn't exist yet. My first role at YouTube was a lot of like iterating on stuff that was already built and like migrating stuff to new frameworks or new ways of doing stuff because YouTube was like an old product and um, is very, very mature. And so depending on what you're working on, like when I was at YouTube, I'd say much more of my job was looking at other people's work. I'd say probably like almost 70 or 80% of what I was doing was like that. Um, I, I used to joke that my job was like more like being an archaeologist because it was just like like looking at a whole bunch of like really old code and trying to understand what somebody was trying to do or like what this was supposed to do or how it worked so that we could make incremental improvements to it uh so depending on where you are you might wind up in a situation where yeah you're looking at old stuff and trying to figure out how it was built so you can make it better or you could wind up you know building brand new kind of what's it a uh, greenfield development brand new stuff but uh, yeah, Google offers us like a lot of flexibility. You kind of make your own hours as long as you deliver stuff when you say that it's going to be done. And, uh, and it's a lot of teamwork. So like, yeah, reviewing other people's content to make sure that it's, you're not, uh, they're not blocked waiting for your review. And my day is pretty much very similar. <laughs> write a lot of code. <laughs> Did you say you get to write a lot of code? That does not I, sound like my day at all. I write a ton of code. <laughs> actually, actually, that's probably different because I work on like a small startup style team. I spend probably 80% of my day writing code and then 10% helping other people and then 10% doing like product and design work beyond engineering. Yeah, that's closer to, yeah, closer to what I've been doing. Oh, also oh, document over there. I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't think I wrote code all week. <laughs> um, as you start building bigger things too, documentation does become a bigger part of your job. So it's more, you know, diagrams and you know writing pages of explaining how something's supposed to work before you start coding it so that other people can punch holes in your idea and tell you all tell you how awful everything you thought of is before you invest a bunch of time building it um i, so that I would is, say that like for me that aspect of it specifically was a big learning curve where yeah i came in and i was like oh i'm really smart i got a job at google i'm gonna go write code it turns out everybody's really smart you're not special and everybody knows more than you and the earlier that they can tell you you're wrong 
the better. Mm -hmm. And so I think yes. that getting good at writing design docs is a big part of getting good at your job. So, mm -hmm. so would you say that ratio changed um, as, as you got more senior? Like when you first started, did you actually spend that, uh, you know, a relatively same ratio as you do now on writing code versus working with other people? For me, it was much more code early on. Because um, I think earlier on in your career, you're kind of given more self-contained tasks where it's like, okay, somebody else has kind of thought about the broader implications of this task, but we just need somebody to go and do it. And then that's kind of given to you when you're a new, new grad level. And then as you kind of grow, you become the person who has to think about those broader implications, do that cross-team collaboration with maybe it's other teams, maybe it's UX, maybe it's product management folks, like whoever it may be. And then there's a lot less coding and a lot more meetings and docs and kind of higher level engineering. I find it fluctuates with role and also point in the project. So like at the start of a project, you might have more meetings towards the end, you're executing more. It can kind of fluctuate. Yeah, like um, when you start out, yeah, you get a lot more of these tasks that are like very well defined. Like someone will tell you, like, I need you to write me a function that takes X and delivers Y. And like, that's, that's it. And that's really easy to just start coding. You know, it doesn't require a lot of like design. And then as you work a little longer, you start getting into tasks that are like much more nebulous, much more ambiguous, not well defined. And uh, someone will just drop something on your lap. That's just like, I need you to write something that like reminds people to drink water. And it's like, okay, so what, like on their phone, on their laptop, I don't know, figure it out. And <laughs> it's just like a very, very ambiguous, like, you know, not well-defined problem at all. And you just kind of have to go from there. And that's where you have to do a lot of design work and write things down so that other people can tear your ideas to shreds uh, before you've invested, so. Yeah, indeed. So I wish I knew that writing was such a big part of working. Uh, writing is huge. You write docs, you write comments for other people. It's how do you get your information across in an effective way, that was definitely something that was a learning curve for me. You mean we didn't cover it enough in our soft inch class and our capstone back? <laughs> I'm not saying I didn't pay attention in that class, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I paid very much attention. It was great. Um, but yeah, I agree with Yarko where writing is really important, especially in our work from home world where uh, you don't get to actually talk to people. It's even more important. And uh, making sure that you are clear in your communications is a skill that is not easy. And it's very easy to make assumptions and then find out weeks later that you were wrong. Something that I wish I knew when I started was that it's, it's okay and it's expected to ask a lot of questions. You get into a role at one of these large companies where you are surrounded by a lot of very smart, very, uh, you know, professionally and academically successful people. And it's really, really easy to just kind of find yourself in a position where um, you're dealing with like a lot of imposter syndrome and people are like talking and throwing around like acronyms and like terms you're not familiar with. And it's easy to like find yourself sitting there being like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to ask what that is because I don't want anybody to know that I don't know what that acronym was because I should have known it or I should have learned it in school. And, um, it's totally fine to just ask questions. Like there, 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 there's no, there's nothing that you're going to ask that's going to be like, that's going to actually be dumb enough that someone's going to be like, why are you here? Um, I've had, uh, you know, meetings where we've been, you know, in the room with like very high level, you know, engineers, uh, you know, directors, leadership and stuff where we've been talking about something and, you know, people who've been working in the industry much longer than me uh, asked me or my team, you know, what, kind of, you know, some basic acronym or some basic term meant. And uh, yeah, it goes like all the way from the bottom to the top. People just like, it, it, there's specific domain knowledge that you don't even realize is specific. And uh, when that happens, like just ask questions. Nobody's going to be worried that, you, that you, you don't know what you should, you know. Kind of build off even. Um, I kind of wish I knew that your education really only starts when you get a job. Like, I feel like I had this notion that I was like, oh, I'm educated now. I'm a coder and then I'm gonna go get a job and now I just do my job. But really you are still learning and you're learning so much more at your work than you really will learn at school. Like I probably only became comfortable with being like, yeah, I'm a good coder like two and a half years ago. Like you spend years just like learning tons of stuff. So don't feel like when you start jobs that you need to know everything. 
not to diminish what UBCO teaches. Uh, it's just a different set of skills. I think that um, is difficult to to translate in a classroom environment. So you gotta you gotta pick it up on the job. Um, some of those things being like reading a lot of code. I would say that um, if when you are working with code, that's something that you have to just get very comfortable with. Is is um, being able to consume, track, follow code, um, be able to um, dig through it. I think for me, it took a number of years just to get very comfortable to be able to dive into a random code base and and be able to see what's what's actually happening. That is, uh, especially when you work with code bases that are um, tens or hundreds of thousands of lines. So being able to um, build up that mental map of how the program is uh, composed, that is definitely a challenge. So is there anything you think you would have done differently if you kind of knew this was the journey and experience that you'd have? I would have coded more in college. I think I, I wrote next to no code in university. Like I had a few projects, I studied math first and then I jumped onto comp side later. Um, and I really had like very little just coding experience going in. I think if you still want to like code or work on anything, take the opportunity to do it. Probably the nearest experience that you can get is looking at open source projects and try to uh, parse through them, try to do maybe some small contributions and try to just be able to understand some part of a large code base. I think that might give you a little bit of that muscle memory that uh, you would need at working for a, a production uh, corporate environment. Um, I would have invested more in understanding true like full stack development. Uh, I was very much under the impression that like all of the like really cool high tech stuff happens on like the back end and that like the front end is just like for artists that want to make things look pretty. And that's not at all true. <laughs> like all of the optimization problems that, that I run into regularly are issues with like how we're moving data around on the front end, on the client side, and um, the back end actually isn't doing that much for us. And so, yeah, this idea that like the front end is just aesthetics and the back end is where all the cool theory is, is, is something that uh, I wish I didn't subscribe to when I was in school and I spent more time on uh, more of a full stack skill set. So. I don't know if this really answers the question, but I feel like it's kind of in the same vein, but just like be aware that imposter syndrome is real. Like I can't speak for other people, of course, but I had imposter syndrome like crazy for how long have I been? In, so I've been at Google for five and a half years. So I've had imposter syndrome for five and a half years. Um, like it's something that a lot of people experience uh, a lot of people go through where you come in and you're used to like being able to solve problems because problems that are presented to you in university are problems that have solutions. And then you come into work and it's like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. I must be an idiot. No, you're not an idiot. You just need to go and ask for help and nobody's going to judge you for asking for help. And I think that this kind of goes to Ethan's point of like, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to not know the answer. It's okay to learn. And I think that that would be the biggest thing I would tell myself when I'm starting out. The, the imposter syndrome, I think, is similar to what some people probably have experienced if you've been like, you know, like athletes or something through high school, where you, you get to a certain point where you're in like the top, you know, 1% of, of whatever sport you do. And then you like go to university or you make, you know, a college team or something. And then you realize that you're in the top 1%, but you're not in the top 0.5%. And all of a sudden there's this, like, you're all of a sudden for the first time in your life, you're the worst person on the team. <laughs> and it's really, really psychologically jarring if you're not ready for it. And there's kind of a similar thing that happens, um, you know, if you've uh, been very successful in school and, you know, academics for most of your life. And then at a certain point you kind of like, surround yourself with other people who are also like that it can be very very jarring and it's just worth yeah like like matt said just knowing that that's a thing <laughs> being aware of it 
Yeah, I think, you know, in the beginning, um, when you guys talked about how has UBCO changed in the past 10, five, 10 years or so, I think that that is one of the things that we've noticed a lot more is that with the increase in the student population, I think that issue has come up where, you know, if people don't know things, they won't ask questions at all, right? And, you know, back in the days when the classes were small, it's so easy to ask questions, it's so easy to interact with each other, but now it's, I think it's just so much easier to lose students. So. Yeah, and I think that's a really hard problem to solve, right? And I I look forward to the day that that is no longer a problem, but I don't know how that happens. Um, okay, so our last question is uh, more of a fun question. I don't know if you've thought about it. Where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? Um, you know, are you thinking of moving around to another fan company or other big companies, doing your own startup, ideas that you've had, or just being retired because you've made so much money? I can go. I think my like 10 year plan currently is I'm actually about to leave Facebook to join a startup that um, someone like a friend of mine who's starting and I'm joining that startup to get my green card. And then after that, I want to start building my own companies. So I'm hoping to see myself there in 10 years as well. I think for a lot of people, um, getting to a big company is uh, a way forward to um, climbing the, the ladder. I've known a lot of people here that have been around for uh, 10, 15 years at Google and the same thing at Bloomberg. So that's definitely a path forward um, for a lot of people. You know, you get familiar with a product and you can uh, continue to get larger scope of projects. Maybe you're managing multiple teams. Um, personally, I'm not sure if I wanna go down that route. Uh, I have yet to explore the startup world. So maybe something to look into. Uh, but um, really hard to judge where you might be this far out. Matt and Ethan? Yeah, I can give probably the opposite answer to both Eric and Kathy. I don't want to move at all. Like, I am perfectly happy right where I am. I feel like at this point, I generally know what I'm doing. And I'm able to do it in a timeline that lets me have a life outside of work. And uh, I have a young daughter. We're moving up to Canada to be closer to family. Like for me, that's the more important part of life. Like work is work and it's important. Don't get me wrong. And I take it seriously. My boss was here. I take it very seriously. Um, but I think that for me, this is a great job to kind of be in have an impact feel like i'm doing work that's important but also be able to have a life and i don't want that to change so i don't see any change um i never have a good answer to these questions because every time this comes up i'm like i don't know man i wasn't supposed to make it this far so i, I don't <laughs> i don't have a plan um i can see myself probably moving around to you know, um, another fan company in the next five years, probably. Um, I wouldn't mind going to a startup just because it would be cool to like, <clears throat> it would be cool to have the opportunity to work on something that I felt a little more in control of and that I kind of could feel like I uh, really believed in and like really wanted to bring, you know, forward. Um, so that would be like, cool to be able to do at some point, but um, the, I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. So I'm going to say in the next five years, I'll probably move to one or two other, you know, fan companies. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I'm still kind of figuring things out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that all sounds good. Um, so that gives us a few minutes left for any questions from the audience. Um, does anyone want to jump in? Um, I, I see there's a, a few questions in the chat that we haven't gotten to. Um, maybe we should just run through those real quick. Yeah, do you guys, do any of the people there want to ask the questions or directly? It's your chance to talk to our alumni. <laughs> Okay. I can, I can yeah, I can go. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask uh, um, what I was asked in the chat. 
what kind of personal projects they want to see from us and uh, do you have any advice on how to get involved in personal projects and as well because uh, someone asked it i'm gonna do co-op next year uh, did you guys ever do co-op and how did it help you Um, Co-op actually wasn't available back then, um, oh. but some of them had work. So I, know, I know Matt had some work. Um, I don't know about the others, though. Yeah, so I didn't do anything formally through like co-op or anything, but I did do, I worked directly with Owen actually for some um, like computer science education related stuff. I did some research stuff during the summer. I think Jericho mentioned that he did that as well. Um, so yeah, nothing. And I don't, I didn't do any internships. Um, I don't think anybody else did any internships either. Um, I like to think of my time at a small company in Vancouver as my internship, because then I don't feel so bad about not getting the Google job the first time. Uh, as far as like your other question around what kind of personal projects, I think that Jericho's point to trying to contribute to open source is probably the most relevant. Um, it is also harder to kind of say that you have any real impact on your own because when you write a two line change to Firefox, like you're not really changing Firefox that much. Um, but it is also super good for you to learn. Like, do you like working in a big code base? Maybe you don't, maybe that's something that is informative to you as well as informative to the other companies. Sorry, I was just going to mention, uh, I, I did have uh, um, an internship or a summer position with the uh, BC Cancer Agency, the cancer clinic down by the hospital. I don't know if they still do that, but uh, that was a really great position where I got to uh, experiment with some uh, computer vision-based stuff, uh, trying to build systems for like scanning uh, medical images. Um, yeah, and yeah, personal projects. Uh, the, the advice I'd give there is there's kind of two routes you can go. You can either do something that a lot of people have done, but do it really well. Um, or you can do something that, you know, most research would fall under that's like very, very unique. Um, that's extremely unique and extremely novel. Uh, I don't know if I'm looking at it, I'd probably be a little bit less critical of like, you know, that you're implementing like best practices and stuff. So yeah, if it's unique, make it really unique. If it's something that a lot of people have done, make sure it's done really, really well, because you're going to be competing with all those other examples. Yeah, and just to echo that, um, doing something that you're interested in as a side project, I think impact is the last thing really that is looked at for personal projects. They're not supposed to change the world, but it might be something that you personally uh, can talk about and something that you might be interested in. Personally, I've, back when um, TikTok was Musical.ly, um, I wrote a scraper that would like pull down videos and make compilations. So that was kind of cool. And so it's like stuff like that. If you're interested in something, um, uh, I also made like a, a hardware project with, with a, an, a light array that I attached to my bicycle. And so no one really, that's not, it's not impactful. It's not changing the world, but um, it's fun to talk about and uh, it shows that you can pick up different skills. Also, for what's worth, I've never written a personal project or coded one in my entire career. So, like, you can also focus on things like from work, research, school. Too. Um, I think maybe we'll take a question from Jill. She looks like she's ready to ask. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, hi. I have two questions, but just before that, I just want to say thank you for the advice and tips that you give to us. It's like very helpful. Um, so my first question is for like practice for the technical interview. So like you've said, it's like practice is really important. So my question is kind of like, because there are so many topics like task or hash map or like that. So like, how do you practice in order to spread the knowledge evenly among those topics, if that makes sense? Um, and the second question is, if so like for doing project, if you join in a group project, would you give, um, so like, would you give advice for us to like take on different roles like back end, uh, front end, or like maybe project manager, or would you suggest like to just, it's better to just like take the roles that have the most skills match with the job that you want to apply? 
Um, yeah, so I can take a pass at those. For your first question, kind of like how to get that breadth of experience with your practice problems, I think the best way that I know is cracking the coding interview. Like, I know at this point that book is so recommended, it's almost a meme, but it's really good. And it covers a big array, like a big variety of topics. Uh, it does each of them pretty well. And it gives you the right base to build from where like, oh, maybe you had a hard time with graph problems. You can go study more of those. Or maybe dynamic programming is, yes, I'm very funny. Um, or maybe dynamic programming is something that you found really easy. So you don't need to do more of it if that's the case you must be a genius because dynamic programming is not easy. Um, and as for your second question around like, do I think you should kind of do more of a depth first or breadth first focus on um, like different projects, the earlier you want in your career or even while you're still in school, I would 100% encourage you to do breadth first, like try everything. Um, Similar to Ethan, I thought that like backend was where all the cool stuff happened and front end was just for moving pictures around. And for the last five years, I've been almost exclusively a front end engineer and I love it. And I would have never known that if I didn't kind of get thrust into it. So I definitely think try everything. Uh, thank you. Uh, I just got done doing co-op and if there's one thing I realized it's like, not everybody's meant to be a uh, developer, like a software developer. So can you speak to like non-technical, but still non-development, but still technical roles and uh, your thoughts on like people going for that, like consulting, project management, product support? Um, I, so I'm, I'm not super knowledgeable about, on it. Um, I definitely don't know off the top of my head, like the best advice to give you in terms of like job seeking or, or interviewing for this stuff. I know that companies like Google and Facebook um, have uh, programs like at Google, I think it's called the uh, associate, associate project manager rotational program or something you can apply to out of, out of school, like during your last year, um, where they'll bring you on board. You're going to spend, I think, two years as like an associate or like a project manager in training where they'll basically rotate you on different projects, I think every six months, and then try to um, convert you to a full-time employee at the end of it. It's very similar to the program that uh, Cap described for, um, uh, was it engineering residency, right? Um, so there are programs like that you can apply for right out of college if you don't wanna you know, try to do like, you know, the MBA route or something to, to get into uh, you know, management roles. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody else has more information on, on that type of work. I'm mostly pretty software engineer focused. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've worked um, with a few um, product managers and project managers. One of them, you have to be quite um, hands-on with the domain. So uh, it's really getting into the problem, understanding what is the problem that you're trying to solve and how to communicate that effectively to the engineering teams, uh, which is a very uh, specific skill set and uh, highly sought after because communication is difficult. Uh, and then project management is on the side of uh, how do you make sure that your team is meeting the milestones that you've set up? How do you track uh, what work maybe is falling behind? Uh, and these things are also highly coveted because um, at the end of the day, you still have to finish a project. Um, maybe we'll go to OP. He has a question. I don't know if this is the same question that I skipped, but OP, did you want to jump in? <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say um, thank you thank you to our panel. Um, it's been really informative to listen to you guys' experience. Um, but I do want to ask, um, just in terms of, I know you guys talked about kind of the different stages of the interview. There's the technical interview. And then after that, then there's interviews just about actually hiring. Um, is, there, and is there anything that you'd say about just culture fitting and personality that is the is a major factor in getting hired at these kind of bigger companies and if there is like what would you say are the biggest cause of that at your companies so i can speak to this quickly just from like the google perspective um we actually are somewhat counter to that where we don't look for specific culture fit we look for culture ad which is just like 
do you have the personality where you're able to contribute to problems, you're willing to accept feedback, willing to kind of work collaboratively, all those sorts of things. There's not really any, um, like we're not looking for like people who have really strong leadership skills exclusively or people who have experience working on teams or anything like that. I think it's, as far as like those soft skills go, it's much more like collaboration focused, much more hoping that like, you know, you have that openness to learning and all those sorts of things. That would be what I would say there. Um, it looks like Yarko and Kathy responded to the question that Ariana had. Um, Ariana, was that, did you have a follow-up question to that? I think the question initially was about tech companies outside of Canada. Um, and the context was to ask if the, I think because the application might be from a person who's not a Canadian citizen or who is a Canadian citizen, I forget. Um, it looks like they were asking as a Canadian citizen applying to companies right. outside of Canada, how does that work? And I just mentioned right. when you're applying to the US, pretty much all companies will help you with a visa sponsorship. So when you're applying, they'll usually list that and then also just feel free to like ask your recruiter, hey, I'm Canadian, will you guys help me get a visa? Does that change with international students? It could, yeah. So it, Canadians to the US is fairly easy, but there will be different requirements from wherever you have your citizenship to wherever you're applying. But when you apply for the job, just make sure to ask the recruiter and they'll know the answer to that question. This is somewhat less of an issue now with COVID and everything being so much more remote friendly. Um, if they can't get you into the country right away, a lot of times they will allow you to work from home until they can get that sorted out. Um, I was just, just going to mention too, if you're interested in working in the US over like a, a longer term, um, some companies, at least I know Google, uh, for me, um, actually helped me with the process of getting my green card. Um, so they brought me in, uh, under a TN visa and then, uh, you know, took care of the whole process, which is really nice because it basically means that you don't have to deal with like, they, they basically like have like a team of lawyers that just took care of everything for me. And all I had to do was like sign some papers and send some documents. And I didn't have to think about it. They were just like, here, sign this and like promise you don't have a criminal record and you're good and um you know so if you are interested in being in the u.s longer term um then there there are options like that that, that are you know uh useful um i just wanted to be cautious of everyone's time um and, and most specifically like the panelists i want to make sure you guys are okay if we, we we can stick around for a few minutes longer to answer some more questions if you want um if if that's good with everyone, okay, thanks. So um, let's let's take a few more questions. Um, and let's see. There's a question about mature students. Um, if they are at an advantage or disadvantage when it comes to previous work experience that isn't computer science related. I don't think it matters. Um, you shouldn't be at an advantage or disadvantage. If you have working experience that isn't computer science related, I actually listed experience on my resume that had to do with working for UBCO's um, sporting teams doing promotion work and I, I focus on like how I developed leadership skills and working with other people so experience beyond computer science is also important for these jobs. Um, there's a question from Kayvon. Uh, I don't know if he wants to speak up and I don't know if he's still here. He's still here. Do you want to speak I'm, up? Uh, yeah, I can speak. I can give you a, a bit context on why I asked this question. It's because I see myself in two different paths for my career. One is working in a small startup where I can have a bigger impact and more control over what I do. And the other one is working for a big company like, like the fan companies. And then I just want to know the differences between these two and how they will affect my future and like how, how different it is in general. If you guys can help me, that would be awesome. Um, I can talk on this a little bit. Having worked, I've worked at two big tech companies, but where I work now is like traditionally small startup styles and I'm about to join a startup. The difference in working style, when you work at like a big tech company, part of a bigger organization, the projects you work on are pretty well encapsulated and defined. You're like, here is something, go do it. It will probably be successful. When you work in something more startup, it's way more nebulous. You're trying to like find the problems you're solving and the answers to those problems. You have to wear many different hats. Sometimes I do design work, like UI work, product work, engineering work, QA work. You could kind of do like whatever has to be done to fill a role. And that's very rewarding. It can be very motivating, but you also fail a lot more. So I think it's like two very different mentalities. 
um, and kind of like what motivates you to work. As far as like the difference for your career trajectory, the nice thing about having worked at one of these big companies is I know that if I go to a startup and I fail, they'll always take me back. So there's like a bit of a security net there. But I also feel like my education has been very tailored to both Google and Facebook, and I'm missing a ton of skills that I would have learned if I'd gone to like a smaller company instead, like things that are external and that are more relatable to other companies and other people that they, people are working on. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to add on that question too. Um, so I, I've worked for, you know, two kind of main areas inside of Google, YouTube, and then their, their AR stuff. And uh, YouTube's an extremely mature product and it's, um, it's a huge moneymaker. And as a result, it means that anything you change on it is like extremely incremental. So if you say, hey, I want to like, you know, change the, the way the like button looks, I want to change it from a thumbs up to like an up arrow or something. Um, there's going to be several layers of approval that that small change has to go through. And then you're going to do, you know, an AB study for like a month where you're going to like change that for you know, 2 million users around the planet, and you're going to wait a month and a half to see if it impacted, you know, or how much it impacted the amount of time they spend watching videos. And if it decreased the amount of time they spent watching videos by 0.5%, you're going to have a bunch of leadership saying we can't make that change. Um, and uh, that's, that's what it's like working on something like that. You know, on the other hand, now I'm working on something that's like very kind of experimental high risk inside of Google that there's a very decent chance we'll never see the light of day. And that's kind of similar to working at a startup, but the difference is because I'm doing it inside of Google, there's a lot of like job security where I know that if this product fails, they'll just shuffle me onto something else and my job's not really in peril. Um, so yeah, there's like a difference in like how uh, safe you kind of feel, your level of like job security, um, but uh, Normally, if you're working on something that's like big and makes a lot of money, it also means you're going to have a lot less freedom um, unless you find yourself in like a weird situation like I am right now where you're working on something experimental anyways. Um, yeah. Oh, and then also uh, um, big companies tend to have all of their own frameworks and like internal tools like what, what Cap was saying. And so like, uh, yeah, you, like I, I'm good at building stuff on Google infrastructure. I have no idea how the world outside of Google works. Like everything out there, every framework, there's like a special Google version of it that I am sort of familiar with. And uh, if I was just like dropped into, you know, the wild to build my own open source project, I'd have to like learn what the allegory is for all the, the internal tools I know for like the, the version in the outside world. And that's something that you miss with a large company. So. Yeah, 90% of the code I write is in Dart. I bet nobody else in this call has heard of Dart. <laughs> I use Dart. You you approve you approve my code changes. Do I? I do anonymous code reviews. I don't know I, if it's you. I was I was literally looking at I, I just sorry, we're this is this is just us talking now. Uh, I don't mean to do that, but um, no, you actually literally like approved to CL that I was like referencing uh, like yesterday. So <laughs> must have been good. Um, okay, there was one more question, but I think Matt answered it. So Omar was asking about data science positions and what, what people look for there. And I and Matt mentioned that they are more maths and, maths and stats focused. Um, <laughs> do you code in dark in dark mode, Ariana asked. I don't yes. know. Yes, somebody who doesn't <laughs> is doing it wrong. I like I don't have very many strong opinions, but this I have very strong opinions. If it's not dark mode, it's wrong. All right, so last chance for questions. Um, and otherwise, oh, was that somebody who wanted yeah, to talk? Good question. Guy? Yeah. OK, Hi. hey. Uh, first, as everyone said, thank you again for coming and taking your time to talk to us. Um, just kind of curiosity, what do you guys think about the tech culture having to do these technical interviews where they make you study lead code and all these different algorithms, you know, the not common algorithms like a prefix sum or something like that, and uh, having to do these personal projects on your own time while still being in school? Like, what, what do you think about these fame companies' expectations from students? Do you think it's too high? Do you like it? What do you think? I, I have fairly strong opinions on this. I, I hate technical interview culture. 
Um, I don't think it's representative of how well people actually function as engineers once they're hired. The problem is that I don't have a better alternative either. And that's what I think that the, the issue is with most companies is that they're like, this isn't really great, but we don't know anything better to do either. Um, I did interview with a company in Vancouver that at the time I thought was cool. They gave me a task and they were like, spend the next three days building a project that, you know, meets these uh, requirements and then present it to us and walk us through your process. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That actually, I think is like a better representation of myself as an engineer. And at the time I thought it was cool because I had just graduated and I wasn't working and I didn't have anything to do. Now I would be furious if a company asked me to do that because they're basically asking me to just sacrifice like three days of my time doing what I do professionally to like show them something that they may or may not take me on board for. And also that like, I'm not gonna lie, I've been asked questions in interviews that I'm pretty sure were just like, the guy interviewing me had a problem that he didn't know how to solve and he was just like trying to get a solution out of me. And I feel like that can also happen with those types of projects. Um, so yeah, in terms of how I feel about it, I, I, I'm, I think it's bad, but I also don't have an alternative, so. <laughs> I also have the same opinion. You'll notice my name's not on the list of interviewers because I'm actually not interview trained because I've kind of like also stepped away from the process. I think it's much more important to see how someone works and collaborates with someone. Being a good engineer, just like on paper and being able to solve these questions, not correlate to being like great as an actual work because it's way more important to be a really great collaborative teammate than just like being crazy smart. And I feel like that is not represented in the interview process very well. I agree as well. I think Winston Churchill said it about democracy, where democracy is the worst form of government, except all the other ones we've tried. And technical interviews are the worst form of interviews, except all the other ones we've tried. Um, like I've done also some of those take home project interviews. Those to me, I don't like them because I feel like you have to be perfect because if you got to take it home, you better be perfect. And then you're not, and it feels bad. Um, Google specifically also does more kind of soft skill focused interviews. Um, to me, those are too easy to like kind of just BS your way through and you don't really get a ton of solid signal out of it. Um, I've never had, like I've done probably around 10 of those interviews and I've never had anybody do badly, which kind of makes me dubious of the quality of those interviews. Um, but yeah. So TLDR, I don't like it, but I don't know how to make it better. All right, um, so sounds good. So thank you all again. So thanks so much for our panelists. We appreciate you taking your time to come here. If you were here, I'd be handing you UPCO swag right now, but you're not. So maybe we'll send them over to you one day. Um, but for now, I guess we'll just send you virtual applause. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Get In It. If you would like to know more about us, our website is ubcogirlsintech.acm.org. We are also at ubcogirlsintech on Instagram and at ubcogit on Facebook. See you next time!